Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Dai Haber. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this this morning I had this morning I had meeting with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this house, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dai Haber. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will know that economic inactivity in constituencies such as mine will only be successfully tackled with sustained investment in creating jobs and giving skills to people and support. Given, however, the uh, growing uh, economic global uncertainty, will he meet with myself and colleagues who represent these valleys to look at the work already being successfully done by the DWP and others to build our economic capacity? But will he assure me that any responses that he makes to any of the global uncertainties that there may be in the economy, that will not be allowed to damage the sustainability of the, that investment. He will know that the reinvention of the is not a way of Mr Speaker, long-term unemployment in my honourable friend's constituency is down 72% since 1997. There are 135,000 new jobs in Wales since 1997, and there are nearly 3 million new jobs in the country. I believe that as we face these uh, uncertain global times, when there are difficulties that have started in America which affect the whole of the world economy, it is important to, it is important to remember that what makes us well-placed to face these difficulties are the low inflation we've achieved in this country. Sorry the very high levels of employment we've achieved and of course the low interest rates which stand us in good stead for facing the global uncertainties and of course I'll be happy to meet my honourable friend and his colleagues to talk about these issues. Thank you, Thank you Mr Speaker. May I start by welcoming the honourable member for Sheffield Hallam uh, to his post. He is, um, I noticed he, he's moving away from me already. Um, he's the fourth, he is the fourth Liberal Democrat leader that I have faced, and I wish him well. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, although not that well. I'm simply relieved that it's no longer my party that has got this habit of replacing its leader on quite such a regular basis. A few months ago, Order, order. Leader of the opposition. I'm on my second Labour Prime Minister as well. A few months ago, a Home Office Minister said it is the government's policy that ID cards should eventually be compulsory for every resident in the United Kingdom. Is that still the government's policy? That is the policy, but it's a matter for Parliament to decide after we've looked at the voluntary system in place. And, and I think, I think all, the, all the evidence we've had all the evidence we've had over the last few months is that where, yes, where, 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 where information, where information, where information I'll let the Prime Minister to answer the question. Prime Minister, The whole purpose of identity cards is to protect people's identity, and the way to protect people's identity is that we use, in addition to the passport information that will be part of the identity card, biometrics so that the use of that information cannot be triggered other than by the facial or the fingerprints that are part of the biometrics. Now, that's the purpose of identity cards. If I may say so, his police adviser, Sir John Stephen, Lady Neville Jones, who's his security spokesman in the House of Lords, both of them support identity cards. What we've 
learned over the last few months is it's completely unsafe to trust the government with any more of our identity information. If he wants to trade quotes, what about this one from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who said, identity cards are unnecessary. I do not want my whole life to be reduced to a magnetic strip on a plastic card. I have to say, compared with being Chancellor in his government, being a magnetic strip on a plastic card is probably a welcome relief. Now, if it's the policy... If, if it is the policy of the government to press for compulsion... Can the Prime Minister explain why he said in the Observer on Sunday, under our proposals, there is no compulsion for existing British citizens? Why did he give such a misleading answer? Because there has to be a vote of Parliament. We have passed the original, we have passed the original identity cards proposals. That is a voluntary system. I have to tell the uh, right honourable gentleman opposite that not only do some members of his party support identity cards, but at the same time... At the same time, people recognise also that what the identity card will contain is little more than the information that is now given for people's passports. Now, I have to ask him, does he support identity cards for foreign nationals that we're introducing this year? Everybody in this House wants proper biometric visas for people visiting this country. The question... The question for the Prime Minister is why he cannot give a straight answer on identity cards. Let me try it another way. What is his personal view? My personal view is I am against compulsory identity cards. What is his personal view? Are you in favour, yes or no? It is the government's policy to move ahead with this, but subject, but subject, I have to tell him, subject, I have to tell him, of a vote of Parliament, depending on how the voluntary scheme works. Now, I ask him again the question. Does he support ID cards for foreign nationals? Yes or no? He says he's against them. Is he in favour of them for foreign nationals? I've just answered the Prime Minister's question. But doesn't the Prime Minister recognise part of his problem is he can't give a straight answer to a straight question? Let's, let's, have, a look. let's have a look at another vital decision, this time on the economy. Yeah? It is only three months ago before the start of the financial year. Businesses up and down the country want to know what the capital gains tax rate they will face in April. Now, is the Chancellor going to go ahead with his 80% increase in capital gains tax rates, or are we set for another humiliating U-turn? Mr Speaker, I see his uh, incursion into identity cards did not last long. He cannot, he cannot answer... He cannot answer the central question, does he support ID cards for foreign nationals? And the answer he could not give me on two occasions. Now, I suggest the whole of the country supports ID cards for foreign nationals, and that is the best protection we have, and one of the best against illegal immigration. Now, if he can't answer that question, then he's not fit to be able to ask other questions about other issues. Now, when it comes to... When it comes to the issue of capital gains tax, when we came into power, capital gains tax was 40%. It is now under the Chancellor's proposals 18%. The Chancellor has agreed to consult on the implementation of it, and he'll report back to the House of Commons in due course. But I have to ask him, why did it take the Conservatives 18 years without reducing the rate of capital gains tax? I remember us cutting taxes and him opposing every single tax cut we produced. 
the Chancellor of the Exchequer made a promise to the House of Commons he'd introduce a statement by Christmas on capital gains tax. Business need to have the answer to this question. And here's something else on the economy. This is from Goldman Sachs, his own advisers. They say this, the UK is slowing more than the rest of Europe. The Northern Rock factor has badly dented the UK's reputation and the UK's balance of payments deficit is now worse than that of the United States. Those are his advisers. Now let's look at another big economic decision he's got to take. At a time of financial turmoil, the markets need clear leadership, not more dithering from the Prime Minister. So will he confirm, here and now, that he's going to recommend Mervyn King for another term as Governor of the Bank of England? The choice of the Governor of the Bank of England will be made in the usual way and announced in the usual form. As far as, as, far as capital gains tax, again, he doesn't return to the issue. He was principal adviser to the Chancellor of the Exchequer and capital gains tax was 40%. He was also principal adviser to the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time of Black Wednesday. And, that, and Mr Speaker, the difference between our country then and now is that inflation was then 10% and they couldn't reduce interest rates. Inflation at the moment is 2% and the Governor of the Bank of England was able to reduce interest rates. And I have to say to him, we face the global crisis with higher employment than ever before. We face the global turbulence with low interest rates and we face the global turbulence with low inflation. It is a record that never they could match. I remember a shadow chancellor sitting here who supported every aspect of being in the exchange rate mechanism and every single step that was taken. And, that was it. and I seem to remember a politician who, when he was in his 20s, supported wholesale renationalisation, yeah, punitive tax rates, and wore his CND badge with pride. That was the Prime Minister. Isn't it the case that his capital gains tax policy is in complete confusion? He can't make up his mind about the Governor of the Bank of England. His ID policy is in full retreat. And all this from a Prime Minister who's lost everyone's identities, seen a run on a bank, got his ministers rocked from one funding scandal to another. He can talk about long-termism all he likes, but everyone knows it's just a smokescreen for the short-term mess that he's made. Isn't that why his relaunch is utterly doomed to fail? What, one, once again, once again, all these pre-rehearsed, all these pre-rehearsed lines, all these lines rehearsed in front of the mirror, and they mean absolutely nothing. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, when it comes to the economy, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, all these pre-rehearsed lines. People are asking, when will he face up to the big challenges? Nobody knows what he thinks about the big challenges. Not the country, not his party, and probably not even himself. And when, it, and when it comes to the economy, and he flits through all the issues today, and when it comes to the economy, Mr Speaker, let us remember there were three million unemployed under the Conservatives, and we have created three million more jobs. 250,000 people lost their mortgages and were repossessed under the Conservatives. There were two million more homeowners under Labour. Interest rates went as high as 18% under the Conservatives. They've averaged 5% under Labour. We will return to his record as Chief Advisor to the former Chancellor of the Exchequer because he has no credibility when he talks about the economy.
Alan Maykel. Mr Speaker, you're aware that the President of Somaliland and members of his Cabinet are visiting Parliament at present. Uh, would my Right Honourable Friend, the Prime Minister, uh, join me in congratulating Somaliland on the way in which they've worked over the last 18 years, very quietly, through local government elections, parliamentary elections and presidential elections. Doesn't that record when the people of the South have no real government and are still in a state of chaos, uh, command respect uh, from the international community? Yeah, yeah. I agree with my right honourable friend and he is a friend of that uh, country. I welcome the visitors to this country and we will do everything I can, we can not only to help with international development uh, for the countries that we are associated with, but also help build the institutions of democracy. Nick Quang. <laughs> Mr Speaker, this is going to be an expensive year for the countless British families who face fuel bills of £1,000 or more for the first time. With as many as 4 million British families unable to afford their fuel bills, does he seriously think that a single letter from the Chancellor to the energy regulator is an adequate response? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, let, let me welcome uh, the Right Honourable Member uh, to the uh, leadership of the Liberal Party. I look forward uh, to working with him on many of the issues facing the country. I've said to him in our private conversations that uh, there is an open door for him and we're ready to discuss the major issues that affect the country where there is common ground. Now, as far as the, the, the fuel prices are concerned, yes, it is regrettable that utility prices are having to rise. That's as a result of a 60% to 80% rise in coal, in gas, in electricity. That's a result of factors that are hitting every economy in the world. But what we have done in Britain over the last few years is there has been £12 billion devoted to fuel poverty issues. The winter allowance, which I think his party didn't support, uh, the, the allowances that we are giving to help with uh, energy bills, uh, companies have announced only in the last few days that the amounts of money will rise from 40 million to 56 million to protect energy users, and we will do everything in our power to avoid fuel poverty in this country. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, with 25,000 people predicted to die this winter alone from the cold, I think we need a more specific commitment from the Prime Minister. Will he agree today? to take action to stop the energy companies from hitting the poorest families with higher bills on prepaid meters so we can end the scandal of the poorest families paying the most for their energy needs. Yes, we, we, we have asked the fuel companies to look at prepaid energy meters. It is very important we do so. But I hope that he shares the common interest that we have in avoiding loss of lives and suffering and illness as a result of fuel poverty and as a result of the cold winter weather. So I hope he will support us in asking for extra money to be provided by the energy companies uh, to subsidise the fuel bills of people who are lower paid. And I hope his party will continue to support us in all measures that we've taken, including the winter fuel allowance, to deal with fuel poverty. Yeah. Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. <laughs> Given that there's an ongoing debate in the country regarding the building of nuclear power stations, and given that my honourable friend will be, have received advice from all sorts of people regarding that, can he say if he's received any advice from Zach Goldsmith, who advised the Leader of the Opposition that building power stations would be a tragedy? <laughs> Mr Speaker, we, we face a major decision in this country about the future of uh, energy. Uh, and tomorrow the uh, Secretary of State uh, for the Department of Business will make a statement on energy and also on nuclear power. 
Uh, and I hope we will be able to have uh, a decision about this that will protect the long-term interests of the country. Uh, and without a decision on this and on renewable fuels, then we will become more dependent uh, on foreign sources of supply. Therefore, it is a shock to me uh, that the other parties are looking in different directions on this uh, issue. Uh, I know that the Leader of the Opposition wants to be consistent in what he says, but he said to the CBI he wanted to make it easier for people to build fuel stations. And then he said to the readers of Green Futures magazine, if we have to keep the lights on, then nuclear might come into the picture. <laughs> nuclear, nuclear, as a, nuclear, 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 as, nuclear as a last resort. That is not the proper way to plan the energy needs of our country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister take the opportunity to once again pay tribute to the gallant service of the security forces in Northern Ireland over many decades of violence in the fight against terrorism and crime? And will he therefore also take the opportunity to rubbish any attempt by the Commission of the past in Northern Ireland to validate or vindicate the terrorists and the criminals in their sordid terrorist war by describing it as a war, and will he utterly rule out any suggestion of an amnesty for terrorists and criminals? Yes, and I think it's important to, to say two things. First of all, our respect for the security services, for the police, for the armed forces, for the difficult job that they did over many years, and for the loss of life that they had to suffer as a result of that difficult work that they did. Uh, but secondly, to say it is important that we move forward with reconciliation. And I think the efforts at reconciliation that are being made by a number of bodies, including what uh, he referred to, are an important element of building for the future. What we want is a safe, secure, peaceful and prosperous Northern Ireland. Michael Connerty. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Given that the New Deal has been in place now for 10 years with the New Deal for the Disabled, and that several acts have been passed by this Government on disabled people's rights, and hopefully there is a consensus in this uh, Parliament that people with disabilities deserve the right to work. Does the Prime Minister share my concern that Leonard Cheshire's report on disabled poverty, published this week, shows that 50% of people with disabilities are unemployed, and that one in three children who live with a disabled adult in their household live in poverty? And what are we going to do about that? I think it's, it's true to say, as uh, my honourable friend uh, has uh, suggested, that disabled people are twice as likely to be in poverty as people who are not uh, with disabilities. But it is important also to help uh, disabled people into work where that is possible. And that's why over the last 10 years around 900,000 disabled people have found jobs. And that's why our Pathways to Work uh, programme is very important for the future, getting 32,000 people into work already. And that's why, in my view, it would be a mistake uh, to abolish the New Deal, which does so much to help people back into work. Julian Brazier. Mr Speaker, members in all parts of the House have expressed concerns at the uh, conditions in Guantanamo Bay, and most people are very glad to see that it's at last winding down. But could the Prime Minister explain to the House why he's just offered places in Britain to five people from Guantanamo Bay, not one of whom is a British citizen, despite the fact that two of those people are wanted for the most serious terrorist charges in Spain? Yeah, yeah. Where people, where people uh, are wanted uh, on arrest in Britain, they will be arrested. Uh, where people have to be returned to other countries, we will expedite that, if at all possible. And as far as Guantanamo Bay is concerned, I think the whole House shares the same view that he has, uh, that we would like uh, Guantanamo Bay to be closed as soon as possible. But where people are moved to our country, we will deal with them if there are offences for which they are to be prosecuted. Thank you, Billy. 
In his speech on Monday, the Prime Minister made a very important commitment to patient power, to giving patients choice of which hospital they go to, which doctor treats them and when they're treated. Will he ask Lord Darcy to work with the medical royal colleges to develop a, a series of outcome indicators, indicators of a quality of care, hospital by hospital and doctor by doctor, and to publishing them so that patients can make an informed choice about who treats them when and where? The future of the National Health Service will mean that patients will have more power over the decisions that affect their lives, uh, decisions about uh, where they have the treatment, at the times they have the treatment and with whom they have the treatment, and that is a very important element of the next stage of the development of the health service. But it is also important that patients have information uh, about what's happening in the local hospitals and what's happening in the local health area. And therefore, one of the next stages of reform, and uh, Professor Darcy is looking at exactly this, is how more information can be made available to patients, how more can become uh, Foundation Trust members, how the flow of information can empower patients in a way that gives them more control over the health and more control over the health care. And that is the right direction for the 21st Century Health Service. Bob Spink. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister think that it would be acceptable for the Secretary of State with responsibility for the poor to endorse a subprime lender and then to accept a £5,000 donation from that lender? How does he think the public will see this? Mr Speaker, as, as I understand it, uh, the Secretary of State uh, for Wales was visiting a company in Wales and praising, and praising the work it had done in creating jobs in Wales. What a, what a Thank you, Mr Speaker. The education community and the business uh, community. What a Moffat. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The education community and the business community are working hard in Crawley to attract a university campus. Does my right honourable friend agree that this is the best way to improve aspiration and to get our young people into higher education in their own towns and cities so that they may strive to make this a better country? Mr Speaker, there are 300,000 more people in higher and further education in the last 10 years. And what we want to do is to create more institutions of higher education, including universities, in areas which at the moment do not have that facility. And my honourable member has put the case for new facilities uh, in all different ranges of areas for her constituency and put them eloquently. And I think it's right to say that we want to expand the number of universities, further education colleges and colleges generally in cities and towns that do not have them already. And that will be a big feature of future education in this country. Steve Webb. In response to my honourable friend on fuel prices, the Prime Minister mentioned the winter fuel payment. But is he aware that the typical pensioner household is now facing bills compared with four years ago of an extra £300 or more, more than wiping out the value of the winter fuel payment? Against that backdrop, why? Against that backdrop, why is the government? Why is the government cutting spending on the warm front home insulation programme? Mr Speaker, over the last 10 years, we have increased spending dramatically on home insulation. We have encouraged people to insulate their homes, encouraged draft proofing and will continue to do so. And as far as the winter allowance is concerned, let me remind them, it started at £20, was raised to £50. For the over 80s, it is now £300. In the 60th year of the NHS, there remain major challenges, health inequalities and the need to provide preventative care. Will the Prime Minister ensure that in the light of the statement he made on Monday 
that areas of disadvantage, like the Nottinghamshire Coalfield, receive sufficient focus and a fair share of resources. I'm grateful to my friend because he raises a very important question about the disparity in life chances in the ages to which people live in different parts of the country, partly as a result of poverty and partly as a result of information about health. And I think it's very important to recognise that as we, as we expand preventative medicine in this country, as more and more people can have their checkups, whether it's for breast cancer or whether it's for heart and stroke disease, then the people who will benefit most are the people who are most susceptible to these diseases, who will get quicker treatment, who will have their illnesses diagnosed earlier, and who will then be able to lead healthier uh, lives. So this will be a major. Uh, this will have a major effect on health inequalities in our country. Yeah. Mark Lancaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only yesterday the Prime Minister said he wanted to do more to help the Open University, and yet last night the government voted effectively to cut its budget. How exactly does his decision to stop people uh, studying for second degree square with his supposed commitment to lifelong learning? Yeah. Yeah. And our commitment to lifelong learning is first that those people who have no qualifications whatsoever should get better chances than they've had in the past uh, to enable them to get both qualifications and in many cases degrees. If he has read the report that was done by Lord Leach, then he says that by 2020 we will need 40% of the country with degree level qualifications. Therefore, the first priority for money, and that's why there's been this transfer of money, was into first degrees and into qualifications for those who do, do not have it at the moment. There is no cut in the overall budget. There is more money going to education than ever happened under the Conservative government. And the difference is between cuts under the Conservatives and expansion under Labour. Now that Liverpool's year as European capital of culture is well underway, has the Prime Minister booked a seat at Anfield for the Paul McCartney concert? Uh, does he recognise the outstanding work being done by Phil Redmond and the North West Development Agency? And how can he help Liverpool to ensure that the benefits last well beyond 2008? Paul McCartney concert is not the only major event in, in Liverpool during this year of culture. Uh, and I think people in Liverpool, but think people all over the country are looking forward to a great success for Liverpool in this year of culture. It is one of the greatest cities in the world already for music and for sport and for art. More people go to museums and art galleries in Liverpool than in any other city, so we wish it well as City of Culture. When he started as Chancellor, he was told by the Treasury, these are fantastically good figures. Now there is a record trade deficit, record private and public debt, record insolvencies. We know he's never thanked his predecessor, uh, but will he now say to his right honourable friend, sorry darling? <laughs> Mr Speaker, when I arrived at the Treasury, I was told that because inflation was rising, and as a result of the failure of the previous Conservative government to increase interest rates, interest rates had to rise. That was the first statement made to me at the Treasury. That's why we made the Bank of England independent, opposed by the party opposite. And that's why, as a result of our actions, interest rates are half what they were under the Conservative government on average. Inflation is half what it was, and employment is at a record level. And we are proud of our record as a Labour government. Uh, I'm big. Uh, Mr Speaker, what is my right 
honourable friends, analysis of the best way to get people from welfare into work? Is it the expansion of the New Deal, expansion of pathways to work and good quality childcare to help people overcome the barriers they face? Or is it to force them into work gangs, otherwise they're going to be stripped of all their benefit? Yeah. Mr Speaker, the right policy for getting people back to work is to work with employers who will help people find the jobs, and that's why the local employment partnerships have 200 companies now signed up to them, and 300 very soon. The right way to get people back to work is not to abolish the New Deal, as the opposite party would do, but the right way is to place a duty on people to have skills for the future. And that's why we will move forward with our plans to create jobs. John Randall. Thank you, Mr. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that the forcible removal of people from their homes, such as happened during the Highland Clearances, have got no place in the 21st century? If so, why is he and his government doing exactly that to hundreds of people around Heathrow? Mr Speaker, this this is a a consultation that is taking place at the moment. I understand that that the consultation goes through to the end of February. The proposal is for a third passenger runway uh, runway at uh, Heathrow. I believe there are many people who think that's in the national interest, but I believe the local views have got to be taken into account, and that's why the consultation is taking place at the moment. Thank you, Mr. Will my will my right honourable friend will my right honourable friend join me in sending the deepest condolences to the family, friends, and fellow students of my 16-year-old constituent, Bradley Whitfield who was killed in the early hours of New Year's Day. And will he also reassure them that he and the government will do everything possible, redouble our efforts, to work with the police, with schools and community groups to try and protect young people from these appalling acts of violence? Uh, I agree. The whole country was shocked uh, by uh, what she has uh, referred to, and my sympathies go to the family. And I believe that the whole House will join her in wanting to pay tribute uh, to the family. Uh, we are determined uh, to do everything in our power uh, to deal with these crimes of uh, violence. That's why the Home Secretary will be announcing new measures uh, very soon. That's why we will step up uh, all the actions we are taking against gangs, against knives, against guns as well. Uh, we are determined that in those areas where there is greatest violence, uh, we have the greatest surveillance as well, and we will take action against these hotspots also. But my sympathies go to the family of her constituent. Order. And there's more discussion of today's news every day from 12 noon on Newsdesk. That's Guardian Unlimited's daily news podcast at guardian.co.uk slash podcasts. Guardian Unlimited.